Section 7 of Swordsman of Lost Terra by Paul William Anderson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. It was a long and hard ride before they stopped, and Carrie almost fell from the hest to which they had bound him. I should have thought that you would soon awake, said the man from Ganath. He had a soft voice and spoke Elurdian well enough. I am sorry it is no way to treat a man, carrying him like a sack of meal. Here, he poured a glass of wine and handed it to the barbarian. From now on you shall ride erect. Carrie gulped thirstily and felt a measure of strength flowing back. He looked around him. They had gone steadily eastward and were now camped near a ruined farmhouse. A fire was crackling and one of the score or so of enemy warriors was roasting a haunch of meat over it. The rest stood leaning on their weapons, and their cold, amber eyes never left the two prisoners. Sathi stood near bleak-faced Jonan, and her great dark eyes never left Carrie. He smiled at her shakily, and with a little sob she took a step toward him. Jonan pulled her back roughly. Carrie, she whispered. Carrie, are you well? As well as could be expected, he said wryly. Then to the Ganastian prince. What is this, anyway? I woke up to find myself joggling eastward, and that is all I know. What is your purpose? We have several, answered the alien. He sat down near the fire, pulling his cloak around him against the chill that blew out of the glooming east. His impassive face watched the dance of flames, as if they told him something. Carrie sat down as well, stretching his long legs easily. He might as well relax, he thought. They had taken his sword and his pipes, and they were watching him like hungry beasts. There was never a chance to fight. Come, Sathi, he waved to the girl. Come over here by me. No, snapped Jonan. Yes, if she wants to, said the Ganastian mildly. By that filthy barbarian. None of us have washed recently. The gentle tones were suddenly like steel. Do not forget, General, that I am Manku of Ganast, and heir apparent to the throne. And I rescued you from the city, snapped the man. If it weren't for me, you might well be dead at the hands of that red savage. That will do, said Manku. Come over here and sit by us, Sathi. His guardsmen stirred, unacquainted with the Ravanian tongue, but sensing the clash of wills. Jonan shrugged sullenly and stalked over to sit opposite them. Sathi fled to Carry and huddled against him. He comforted her awkwardly. Over her shoulder he directed a questioning look at Manku. I suppose you deserve some explanation, said the Darklander. Certainly Sathi must know the facts. He leaned back on one elbow and began to speak in an almost dreamy tone. When Rivan conquered Guria many generations ago, some of its leaders were prescribed. 
they fled eastward and so eventually wandered into the dark lands and came to Ganoth. It was then merely a barbarian town, but the Gurians became advisors to the king and began teaching the people all the arts of civilization. It was their hope one day to lead the hosts of Ganoth against Rivan, partly for revenge and partly for the wealth and easier living to be found in the twilight lands. Life is hard and bitter in the eternal night, Sathi. It is ever a struggle merely to keep alive. Can you wonder so very much that we are spilling into your gentler climate and your richer soil? Descendants of the Gurians have remained aristocrats in Ganast, but Jonan's father conceived the idea of moving back with a few of his friends to work from within against the day of conquest. At that time, we were bringing our neighbors under our heel and looked already to the time when we should move against the twilight lands. At any rate, he did this, and nobody suspected that he was aught but a newcomer from another part of Rivan's empire. His son Jonan entered the army, and being shrewd and strong and able, finally reached the high post which you yourself bestowed on him, Sathi. Oh no, Jonan, she shuddered against Carrie. Naturally, when we invaded at last, he had to fight against us, and for fear of prisoners revealing his purpose, very few Ganastians know who he really is. A risk was involved, yes, but it is convenient to have a general of the enemy on your side. Jonan is one of the major reasons for our success. Now we come to myself, a story which is very simply told. I was captured, and it was Jonan's duty as a citizen of Ganast to rescue his prince. Quite apart from the fact that I do know his identity and torture might have loosened my tongue. He might have effected my escape easily enough without attracting notice, but other factors intervened. For one thing, there was this barbarian alliance, and especially that very dangerous new weapon they had, which he had observed in use. We clearly could not risk its being turned on us, Indeed, we almost had to capture it. Then, too, Jonan is desirous of marrying you, Sathi, and I must say that it seems a good idea. With you as a hostage, Rivan will be more amenable. Later you can return as nominal ruler of your city, a vassal of Ganast, and that will make our conquest easier to administer. Though not too easy, I fear. The Twilight Landers will not much like being transported into the dark lands to make room for us. Sati began to cry, softly and hopelessly. Carrie stroked her hair and said nothing. Manku sat up and reached for the chunk of meat his soldier handed him. So Jonan and his few trusty men let me out of prison, and we went up to the palace roof after you who had been seen 
going that way shortly before. Listening a little while to your conversation, we saw that we had had the good luck to get that hell pipe of the north too. So we took you. Jonan was for killing you, Carrie, my friend, but I pointed out that you could be useful in many ways, such as a means for making Sathi listen to reason. Threats against you will move her more than against herself, I think. You crawling louse, said Carrie tonelessly. Manku shrugged. I'm not such a bad sort, but war is war, and I have seen the folk of Ganast hungering too long to have much sympathy for a bunch of fat twilight landers. At any rate, we slipped out of the city unobserved. Jonan could not remain, for when the queen and I were both missing, and he responsible for both, it would be plain to many whom to accuse. Moreover, Sathi's future husband is too valuable to lose in a fight, and I myself would like to report to my father, the king, as to how well the war has gone. So we are bound for Ganast. There was a long silence while the fire leaped and crackled, and the stars blinked far overhead. Finally, Sathi shook herself and sat erect and said in a small, hard voice, Jonan, I swear you will die if you wed me. I promise you that. The officer did not reply. He sat brooding into the dusk with a look of frozen contempt and weariness on his face. Sathi huddled back against Carrie's side, and soon she slept. On and on. They were out of the twilight lands altogether now. Night had fallen on them, and still they rode eastward. They were tough, these Ganasti. They stopped only for sleep and quickly gulped food, and a change of bounce, and the miles reeled away behind them. Little was said on the trail. They were too tired at the halts, and seemingly in too much of a hurry while riding. With Sathi, there could only be a brief exchange of looks, a squeeze of hands, and a few whispered words with the glowing-eyed men of Ganast looking on. She was a gallant girl, thought Carrie. The cruel trek told heavily on her, but she rode without complaint. She was still queen of Rivan. Rivan, Rivan, how long could it hold out now in the despair of its loss. Carrie thought that Red Bram might be able to seize the mastery and whip the city into fighting pitch, but warfare by starvation was not to the barbarian stomachs. They could not endure a long siege. But what lay ahead for him and her and the captured weapon of the gods? Never had he been in so grim a country, it was dark, eternally dark, night and cold, and the brilliant frosty stars lay over the land, shadows and snow and a whining wind that ate and ate and gnawed its way through furs and flesh down to the bone. The moon got fuller here than it ever did over the twilight belt. Its chill white radiance spilled on, reaching snowfields and glittered like a million pinpoint stars 
fallen frozen to earth. He saw icy plains, and tumbled black chasms, and feigned crags sheathed in glaciers. The ground rang with cold, cramped and shuddering in his sleeping bag. He heard the thunder of frost-split rocks, the sullen boom and rumble of avalanches. Now and again, the faint, far-despairing howl of prowling wild beasts of prey. How can anyone live here? he asked Mankua once. The land is dead. It froze to death ten thousand years ago. It is a little warmer in the region of Ganath, said the prince. Volcanoes and hot springs. And there is a great sea, which is never frozen over. It has fish and animals that live off them, and men that live off the animals. But in truth, only the broken and hunted of man can ever have come here. We are the disinherited, and we are claiming no more than our rightful share of life in returning to the twilight lands. He added thoughtfully, I have been looking at that weapon of yours, Carrie. I think I know the principle of its working. Sound does many strange things, and there are even sounds too low or too high for the human ear to catch. A singer who holds the right note long enough can make a wine glass vibrate in sympathy until it shatters. We built a bridge once over Thunder Gorge near Ganast, but the wind blowing between the rock walls seemed to make it shake in a certain rhythm that finally broke it. Oh, yes, if the proper sympathic notes can be found, much may be done. I don't know what hell's music that pipe is supposed to sound, but I found that the reeds can be tautened or loosened, and that the shape of the bag can be subtly altered by holding it in the right way. Find the proper combination, and I can well believe that even the small noise made from one man's breath can kill and break and crumble. He nodded his gaunt, half-human face in the ruddy blaze of fire. I all find the notes, Carrie, and then the pipe will play for Ganast. The barbarian shuddered with more than the cold, searching wind. Gods, gods, if he did, if the pipes should sound the final dirge of Kalorn. For a moment, he had a wild desire to fling himself on Manku, rip out the prince's throat, and kill the score of enemy soldiers with his hands. But no, no, it wouldn't do. He would die before he had well started, and Sathi would be alone in the dark lands. He looked at her, sitting very quiet near the fire. The wavering light seemed to wash her fair young form in blood. She gave him a tired and hopeless smile. Brave girl, brave girl, wife for a warrior in all truth. But there was the pipe, and there was Kalorn, and there was Morna waiting for him to come home. They were nearing Ganath, he knew. They had ridden past springs that seethed and bubbled in the snow, seen the red glare of volcanoes on the jagged horizon, past fields of white fungus growths which the Darklanders cultivated. Soon the iron gates would clash shut on him, 
and what hope would there be then? He lay back in his sleeping bag trying to think. He had to escape. Somehow he must escape with the pipe of the gods. But if he tried and went down with a dozen spears in him, there was an end of all hope. The wind blew, drifting snow across the sleepers. Two men stood guard, and their strangely glowing eyes never left the captives. They could see in this realm of shadows where he was half blind. They could hunt him down like an animal. What to do? What to do? On the road, he went with his hands tied behind him, his ankles lashed to the stirrups, and his hest's bridle tied to the pommel of another man's saddle. No chance of escape there, but one must get up after sleep. He rolled close to Sathi's quiet form, as if he were merely turning over in slumber. His lips brushed against the leather bag, and he wished it were her face. Sathi, he whispered as quietly as he could, Sathi, don't move, but listen to me. Aye, her voice drifted back under the wind and the cold. Aye, darling. I am going to make a break for it when we get up. Help me if you can, but don't risk getting hurt. I don't think we can both get away, but wait for me in Ganast. She lay silent for a long while. Then, as you will, Carrie, and whatever comes, I love you. He should have replied, but the words stuck in his throat. He rolled back and, quite simply, went to sleep. A spear butt prodding his side awoke him. He yawned mightily and sat up, loosening his bag around him, tensing every muscle in his body. The end of this ride will see us in the city, Manku said. Carrie rose slowly, gauging distances. A guardsman stood beside him, spear loose in one hand. The rest were scattered around the camp or huddled close to the fire. The hests were a darker shadow bunched on the fringes. Carrie wrenched the spear of the nearest man loose, swinging one booted foot into his belly. He brought the weapon around in a smashing arc, cracking the heavy butt into another's jaw and rammed the head into the throat of a third. Even as he stabbed, he was plunging into motion. A Ganathian yelled and thrust at him. Sathi threw herself on the shaft, pulling it down. Carrie leaped for the hests. There were two men on guard there. One drew a sword and hewed at the northerner. The keen blade slashed through heavy tunic and undergarments, cutting his shoulder, but not too badly. He came under the fellow's guard and smashed a fist into his jaw. Seizing the weapon, he whirled and hacked at the other Darklander, beating down the soldier's axe and cutting him across the face. The rest of the camp was charging at him. Carrie bent and cut the hobbles of the hest beside him. A shower of flung spears rained about him as he sprang to the saddleless back. Twisting his left hand into the long mane, he kicked the frightened beast in the flanks and plunged free. Two Ganasthi 
quartered across his trail. He bent low over the hest's back, spurring the mount with the point of his sword. As he rode down on them, he hewed at one and saw him fall with the scream. The other stumbled out of the path of his reckless charge. Hi! shouted Carrie. He clattered away over the stony ice fields toward the shelter of the dark hills looming to the north. Spears and arrows whistled on his trail, and he heard dimly the shouts of men and the thud of pursuing hooves. He was alone in a land of foes, a land of freezing cold where he could scarce see half a mile before him, a land of hunger and swords. They were after him, and it would take all the hunter's skill he had learned in Kalorn, and all the warrior's craftiness taught by the march to evade them. And after that, Ganast. End of section 7. Recording by Paul Harvey.